The Charles Adler Show starts now. So in my Saturday pre-press call, Winnipeg uh, pre-press, I called it the Brutes of Belleville. There's lots of things that you can call what happened last week when the Prime Minister was not just interfered with, some would say assaulted if that had happened with a regular person on the streets of Belleville or anyone else. I'm positive the police could have charged them with assault, but of course it's a, it's a free country. I'm not suggesting that uh, people... Uh, be uh, thrown in jail for exercising their freedom of expression. But uh, that one was ugly. It was vulgar. I don't perceive it to be part of legitimate democratic dialogue, and I do perceive it as absurd for the people. I'll just call them the people. The people who cry freedom, those those people who visited him in Belleville, uh, the idea that they don't think this is a free country, can can they find me a single country that is considered a dictatorship universally? Can they find me a particle of, of North Korea or China or, or Russia or other authoritarian countries where you can get right in the, the face of the leader and call him a traitor, criminal, pedophile? Doesn't happen. Even though they want to declare that Canada is a dictatorship, their behavior and the lack of police response to them, every one of them is absolutely free. There's no court dates. No one's been charged. What they did proves that Canada is indeed free. Sandy Garasino is a columnist for the National Observer. She's also a, a former trial lawyer uh, who I am privileged to have access to from time to time. And this is one of those special times. Sandy Garasino, welcome back to the Charles Adler Show. Thank you so much for having me, Charles. Wonderful to be here. Is this a free country? Well, of course it's a free country. It's, an, it's, not, an, it's not an anarchy. It's not an anarchy. What, what do you say to those, those people, uh, some of whom aren't screaming the words that uh, these people were screaming, uh, aren't uh, trying to get in the way of the prime minister's activities? And it's not about the prime minister. It's about the, the people of Belleville who were expecting a certain menu of, of of things that the prime minister was going to do that day and it was interrupted and destroyed. Uh, it was uh, chaotic. It was uh, certainly uh, more than just disheartening. It was alarming uh, to the people of, of, of Belleville. I don't want to call it terrorism because I want to put terrorism in a, in a special place and I don't want to dilute what terrorism is. But it was terrifying to a lot of lot of people there. Um, so what what do you say to people who aren't quite as crazed as the brutes of Belleville, who say that this country is not as free as it once was. When was it freer than now? Um, you know, I don't, I, I really feel like a lot of this kind of debate has gone off the rails because, of course, we know that it's so much more than. Uh, just people expressing their views. They've they've been um, ginned up and hyped up by uh, uh, by a social media environment that has spread hatred and anger and outrage for profit, um, and which now essentially controls virtually um, uh, all of the way that most of us consume our information. Uh, and and it, that has distorted and deformed rational debate. I mean, we're now in a world where um, the public has a shattered 
sense of reality. People are getting their information from um, really siloed funhouse mirror rabbit holes that they're, you know, they're doing their own research, as as they say. Um, and that has led to, uh, that has led to, a, I think, a very harmful way that we debate rational or debate uh, important matters of uh, of uh, matters of public importance, it, it it's it's transformed it. Uh, I mean, there are many people who don't like the prime minister. I think a lot of liberals don't like the prime minister anymore. Um, I, I, that's not really what this is about, and why all of us should be um, should be concerned. I would hope that even the most um, uh, the strongest opponents of Pierre Polyev, if he were to become prime minister, would oppose this kind of behavior and this kind of rhetoric. But I fear terribly that we're moving very swiftly beyond this point and that rather than um, things coming back to normal, at some point in the future, I worry terribly that with the advent of AI about to um, about to transform the way that we communicate with each other and our sources of information, I worry terribly that we are moving much more into a very fast-moving river um, and, and with with a waterfall ahead. I'm very concerned about it. So when I ask you whether we're as free as uh, we used to be, I ask, of course, on behalf of people who keep saying that we are. I can't take my own question seriously on an intellectual level because if anyone were to be aware, I'm a canary in the coal mine. Yeah, if anyone were you are. Uh, to be aware that we are less free, it would be me because of the public work that, that I've been doing for so many years now. I've not been interfered with by any governmental authority. No government is is asking for transcripts of what I do, what I say. No government is uh, asking me to come in for interrogations, to put me under the hot lamp, to ask me why I said what I said, to tell them about my, my motivations, to tell them what I believe, to tell them what I don't believe. Nobody in government is trying to censor me. Nobody in government is interfering with my freedom of expression. And the fact that I've been doing this for nearly 50 years and there's not been a whiff of that, not a skiff, nothing, nada, tells mm -hmm. me that those people who claim they're doing their own research are either lying or they're reading a bunch of lies that they choose to call research. But at some point, this big lie has got to be perforated. And I'm just wondering, Sandy Garasino, when you think about this in your private time, and we'll get into the, the business of social media mm -hmm. and how social media thrives on chaos and so do dictators and so do people who want a dictatorship. We'll, we'll get into all of that. But I just wonder, do you think it's time for all of the political leaders, regardless of their partisanship, to hold a joint news conference or something to tell the liars that the jig is up, it is a big lie, and they don't want to put up with it. Is it time for a nonpartisan approach to dealing with something that's clearly more destructive by the day? 
I think absolutely it is. I mean, I'm I'm actually shocked after Belleville that uh, at the silence from uh, f- from the conservative leaders, and I, I say plural because Maxime Bernier, I think, would be included in this because he's done an awful lot to to fan these flames. But certainly, uh, the leader of the opposition, um, all leaders should stand united. They don't have to have a joint press conference. That might be a little bit bit too <laughs> they might they might choke on on that idea <laughs> but but really I, I you know this is this is one of the most disturbing parts of this and we've seen south of the border the effect when political leaders are perfectly happy to just do whatever is in what they perceive to be their own personal interest of the moment um, and and it's but this moment is very important in Canadian in Canadian history. I, you know, we really must demand that leaders and nobody's, you know, nobody on the right is going to listen to me. Um, but I would hope that the leaders listen to their own conscience uh, because they must. They, they know what is involved here, uh, and and if you're not, you know, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And you, you, it, this moment really calls for that. I, I think that's, I, I don't think there could be any question about that. If anyone on the right uh, turns on, well, I'll call it the far right, the, the brutes of Belleville and people who support that. If anyone on the right uh, tells them the truth about, about their lies, about their perniciousness, about their destructiveness, about uh, their lack of credibility at what I'll call the, the great Canadian kitchen table for democratic dialogue. If someone on the right calls them out, is that person, is that group on the right afraid that these brutes will turn on them? Well, I think, look what happened with Brian Lilly in the last few days, who has has been, you know, he himself has, has uh uh, tweeted and posted extremely inflammatory messaging for many years um, on social media, and now he is now he's he's come out to say enough is enough, uh, and 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 the and the crowds have turned on him, and he's and now he's upset and and concerned. I mean, it's a little bit. Well, what did you? You know, what did you think these matches were for, if not to light a fire? And we all know what happens with fire when once it gets started. Um, and and I think it's it, it does really concern me that so many people have not thought about the consequences, the long term consequences. You know, it's very hard to stop all this once once it gets started. At the same time, I think that Canadians. You know, I think so many of us, I think almost everybody was shocked at this behavior, shocked um, at, at this, what seemed to be an organized campaign. Um, but I think we also have to remember that the average person doesn't have these views. You know, the people who are who are political junkies are rare, but that's but we are they are getting pulled in. Um, they are getting pulled into this debate, but my goodness, nobody should be surprised to see um, uh, to see the hyenas turning on them. So is Pierre Ponliev afraid of uh, getting the same treatment that uh, Brian Lilly of 
sun media god is brian lilly uh, you know sort of a canary for uh, the coal mine that uh, polyev is paying attention to does polyev worry that if he calls out what happened in belleville that uh, great masses of, of 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 people on the far right certainly on social media will, will go after him the way they they go after the prime minister I think he's afraid that Maxime Bernier will go after him. He's afraid that if he does anything that is not mollycoddling this bunch, and it started with the donuts in Ottawa at the convoy. Well, it didn't start there. There'd been a lot of dog whistles long before, long before then. Um, but the overt pandering was very clear when the convoy came to town. I mean, it was very shocking how the, how the Conservative Party behaved, but it was clear at that point um, that that they had decided they had made a strategic choice to um, pursue the the Maxime Bernier People's Party of Canada um, audience. That that was where they thought that their bread was buttered was to go. It was to was to pander to the right. And I think they are now um, in a terrible. They've boxed themselves in because they've gone so far that they can't really move back to the center very easily. They can't um, uh, criticize or make a, make a strong, I'm talking politically, they all of these things are entirely uh, possible, but politically, um, you know, they've got in bed with this bunch and this is not a rational bunch and they will turn on, you know, they will, they will bite the hand that feeds them uh, on a moment's notice. They will do that. In, in a heartbeat. And he knows that full well, and he knows that Maxime Bernier is licking his chops at the, at the far end of the right, knowing that these voters will flow to him and destroy any chance that the uh, Conservatives um, want, have for forming government. Help me with the math on this, uh, Sandy Garasino. You know, you're living in a part of the world that is absolutely critical if uh, Polyev is, is hoping to form government, you're in the Vancouver area, uh, in uh, the Vancouver area in general. I'm not talking about downtown Vancouver, but uh, mm -hmm. certainly the Vancouver uh, suburbs. Uh, they are battlegrounds where conservatives have done very well in the past. They, they want to do well in the future, and they have to if they want to form government. It's much like the ring around uh, Toronto, although uh, Toronto is a greater, much greater population. But nevertheless, the suburbs of Toronto are critical, as are the suburbs of Vancouver. In none of those places does Maxime Bernier do well. The competition isn't Maxime Bernier. It's, it's the NDP mm -hmm. and the Liberals. Why is Polyev so worried about a party that only does relatively well in the parts of Canada that the Conservatives have no problem winning? Well, that's kind of the mystery, don't you think, Charles? I mean, this is where, uh, this is what I don't under, understand. If you look strategically, the, the swing zones, I mean, the 905, the Metro Toronto area is is the huge prize. Uh, and Quebec is, is, a, is important. Uh, not so much that the Conservatives could take Quebec, but can they prevent the Liberals from... Uh, from gaining or holding seats in Quebec. And then Metro Vancouver is, is another swing region, not nearly as significant as the others. But I mean, let's look at it. I mean, swings it's the swing voters that decide elections. And the swing voters are not Maxime Bernier voters. Uh, and, and this has been, uh, 
a remarkable, what I think, miscalculation on the part of uh, Polyev, because I think it can do long-term damage to the Conservative Party. And we've seen the results in the uh, by-elections, haven't we? We've seen the results uh, of what happens even in areas that are kind of, that are, are pretty blue friend, or pretty blue friendly, pretty friendly to the Conservatives, that in the last round of by-elections, uh, the Conservatives... Contrary to how the polls had been going, the Conservatives actually lost significant votes um, in in those more in those more moderate ridings. So, uh, the Conservatives formed government, and I've looked at elections uh, going back fifty years uh, and more. The Conservatives form the government when the Liberals collapse and the NDP. Um, gain a really strong foothold and make a big play. Uh, that's that's how Stephen Harper got his majority was that by the complete collapse of the Ignatieff Liberal Party and the rise, the meteoric and astonishing rise of Jack Layton. Um, and absent a major move between the NDP and the Liberals, the Conservatives don't don't really gain in those critical voter rich areas that where the swing voters are the swing voters are not in calgary the swing voters are not in in atlantic canada the swing voters are in toronto um, different swing voters not between conservatives and liberals but between the bloc and the liberals in quebec and and swing voters in Metro Vancouver. That's where the election is decided. But in general, uh, Quebec notwithstanding, uh, in general, swing voters are people who bounce in general between the Liberals and the Conservatives, not not between uh, the Liberals and the uh, the People's Party of, of Maxime uh, Barnier. Uh, let me get back to the Brian Lilly column. Uh, I read the column that uh, triggered uh, the response that frightened um, Lilly. Uh, this was uh, where Lily was commenting on what I called uh, the brutes of Belleville. But in that column, uh, was it not clear to you, Sandy, that the panic button that uh, that uh, Lily was pushing wasn't about how the, these the, these brutes had visited uh, this pristine part of Canada called Belleville and uh, created the chaos? I, I don't think that's really what got uh, Brian Lilly to write that column. I think that what got Lily to write it is he felt that there would be an outrage that would create a wave that would wash over his beloved Conservative Party of Canada, that these brutes were making the Conservatives look bad, and that this was a good day for Trudeau politically. Well, what are your thoughts on on what Lily and others are saying? Well, he, he made that really clear. He made that really clear, didn't he? It was that, oh, well, this is going to backfire. Don't do this, not because it's wrong. Don't do this. Don't... Don't behave in this way, uh, not because this is morally reprehensible and offensive um, to to all right-thinking Canadians everywhere. Don't do this because it's going to hurt our part, the, our party, our the the conservative the conservatives, uh, which is you know that's not uh, you know the, the, I mean there's a lot of a lot of things to say about this, but basically it's not in our interests. Uh, you're hurting us. And that's and and uh, that's the rationale. So yeah, I mean, he he pretty much told on himself. I thought it, um, in in how he's addressed this was well. This isn't this isn't going to help us, you know. Well, 
Um, welcome to civilization. <laughs> for, for me, uh, you know, that's what took the moral authority. Mm. Just sucked it right out of the column when your your central organizing principle is a complaint that this is not in your partisan interest. Yeah. It, it's hard on a moral slash ethical level to to take the word seriously. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it, it, it was it was very mealy mouthed, and I think it was. But I think it also. Um, but the fact that he did it at all, I think, also uh, revealed a disquiet, wouldn't you say, in in conservative ranks that that uh, this fire is starting to burn out of control. I do, I do think that many uh, conservatives, certainly people I talk to, I mean, most of my you know, personal friends happen to be conservative, and their, their central complaint is that Canada is not as dark mm-hmm. as the conservatives painted. <clears throat> and uh, if, if they want to portray Canada as, as, as this, this, real, this dark and desperate uh, jungle, um, they're going to lose a lot of people who simply don't identify with that. I'm not saying that we're having the best of times. I'm not saying that inflation isn't an issue. I'm not saying that crime isn't an issue. But the the idea that we've become this, uh, you know, the, this this backwater, this, this swampy, ugly uh, place where where people don't want to live and and children uh, don't smile, it's just kind of silly. It's become this 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 dark HBO movie. That's a movie, but it, but it's not reality. Uh, the the thing is that many conservative supporters that I talk to would love to hear some kind of positive vision enunciated. Many of them are sick and tired of hearing nothing but Trudeau, 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 Trudeau. It it's it, beyond the the morality of it or lack of morality. It's just phony. It's a it it's 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 a phony way uh, to try to become the government in waiting. And yes, because it's so much. It, it's all about. You know what is the viral message of the day, and of course inflation has now um, fallen to below three percent, so it's starting to approach the zone. By the way, that doesn't mean that prices have fallen, so people are still paying and really feeling the bite of those increased prices, and, and uh, so we have to be mindful of that. But inflation has we've we've stopped the galloping runaway inflation. <clears throat> Remember when Polyev um, took over the leadership, it was inflation and um, the vaccine mandates. The, these were the things. Well, now what are they what are they going to do? And this is the problem with having uh, your policies being uh, yanked by the message of the day. And a lot of those messages um, come, by the way, from the United States. I mean, there's so much of this messaging that is just coming straight out of out of uh, the U.S. and the U.S. this this uh, this rapacious, uh, again, I go come back to the social media, the, but the rapacious volume of, of uh, uh, really panicky kind of messaging um, that the Trump campaign. And, you know, the thing what's remarkable about this is that we all know that even in the United States, the uh, Republican Party and all of these people who are carrying on like uh, baboons um, in the Republican Party right now. What what's now well known is that when the cameras are off and and the media has gone home, they all are 
you know, wiping the sweat from their brows and wondering when would this nightmare end that they have to, that they can stop behaving like complete jackasses just to whip people up to please one guy. So, I mean, even our whole country, I feel like our, our whole country's um, uh, political dialogue is being driven very much by what's happening south of the border with the Donald Trump campaign. We're doing a podcast now, and I can't help but uh, notice uh, when I look at which podcasts are being paid attention to in Canada, uh, most of the podcasts uh, that people pay attention to are American. So I'm, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in no uh, position based on my, my life and based on uh, my, my career uh, to be anti-American, and I'm not. But I just wonder if uh, most Canadians, just regular Canadians, are listening to American uh, podcasts. I'm not saying that we're not getting our due, and I'm very grateful to the many Canadians who are who are listening and watching this right now. So I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not, not trying to uh, you know portray myself as someone who's uh, lacking in, in gratitude to my fellow Canadians. But it seems that most Canadian hours are spent listening to American podcasts, and certainly it's obvious from uh, conservative headquarters that they pay much more attention to right of center politics in the United States than they do to anything else, including anything else that's going on in this country. So I just wonder whether this is a trend that could uh, could be turned around. I mean, there are many more podcasting hours available. There's a much, much more U.S. product available than, than Canadian product, and clearly some Canadian product isn't really connecting, or let's just put it bluntly, is boring uh, many uh, Canadian minds. Um, ideas don't really have borders it's clear that the showbiz in U.S. politics is appealing uh, to a lot of Canadians. So is there any reason to believe, Sandy, that this trend will stop, that this idea of just aping whatever the American right is doing? Well, that's what that gets back to something that I continue to, to push, which is the influence of social media, because all of these things, everything nowadays in the media world um, is built on and... Um, uh, relies on the major social media giants, in particular Google, YouTube. Um, YouTube is owned by Google, and and Facebook, Meta, uh, and those platforms drive a huge amount of the sharing. And uh, once you start to peel away the layers of well, how does that work, and and what does how does that operate, and what is the impact? Um, one of the things that we know about social media, and you can get this information from Tristan Harris, of um, uh, uh, who, who is a really important thinker in this area, uh, and uh, he is pointing out that disinformation and fake news spreads at six times the rate of true content, of true news um, uh, on the internet, and um, extremism, because because extreme views and fake news and disinformation are so viral, that means that they're very rich content for anybody who produces them. It's money making. You can actually make money off this. Now Twitter's going to be supposedly um, paying content creators. YouTube is paying content creators. And um, uh, uh, all of this, there's money in it. And... Uh, extremism is the way to go. That's how you make the money. So we're going to be getting that content. And this is one of the things that, I mean, 
even people who are who are very close watchers of the media environment are are noting how this addiction to extremist content just because it travels so so well it is completely overrepresented in the media environment um so it, it it distorts the picture that the average citizen and average consumer of news and of media it, it completely distorts their perception of how common those views are those views are are very uncommon they are extreme views they are not commonly held the average person on the street does not think like jordan peterson the average uh, guy at the football game or the baseball game is not thinking like Ben Shapiro, but people are consuming that because it's a moneymaker. It's a moneymaker for Facebook and, and for Google, for all of these engines. Um, and it's a moneymaker for these, for these content creators. Um, I, I, there was an interesting statistic, by the way, just to, just to go down this a little bit more, because I was reading a little bit about this last night and Tristan Harris was, was pointing out that, um, Alex Jones, you know, the guy, uh, the guy that uh, was spreading all those vicious, vicious stories about the, um, the school shooting um, and the parents of the, uh, of the children involved, saying that these were all crisis actors and that, that this had never happened. Um, he, his content was shared on Facebook and YouTube, something like 15 billion times more than almost all other content combined. Why this attracts eyeballs, God only knows, but it, but it's a huge, huge, a vast money-making machine. And it's a secret money-making machine because most of the average person doesn't really, um, doesn't really consume that, but there's a huge number of people who consume only that. And it's actually dangerous is one of the things that you know we can talk about the uh, uh the impact on social discourse the impact on politics but i think we have to start calling this out as actually dangerous what we saw at belleville let's, no bones about it that was a dangerous situation and i don't actually want to see the prime minister of canada of any party representing any party to ever face that kind of thing in such close in such close quarters again that's that's just not acceptable and something terrible is going to happen we have all kind of minimized when the guy uh, broke into broke through the gates at uh, was at Rideau Hall where the prime minister's family was was staying and um, uh, I was I was quite surprised when I was reading into the the stories about the the and the reports on the RCMP coming out of the Nova Scotia shooting um, that 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 guy who was armed um, was in an actual standoff with police for 90 minutes that never was something that was reported very much. It was like, oh, this guy broke through the gates and then he was it was treated like, oh, he was wandering around the grounds. No, this was this was an actual standoff, as I understand the reports that were made. It was something terrible is going to happen. And I think we have to start waking up to the danger, not only to political leaders, but to citizens who might want to go out and meet the Prime Minister of Canada, to see the Prime Minister of Canada, 
be it a pancake, you know, be it the Calgary Stampede, maybe they want to see Danielle Smith. And we're in a dangerous zone and unstable people are being whipped up by this. You know, I think that the debate should turn very far away from, oh, our freedoms are not, you know, we don't enjoy the same freedoms that we that we used to have. I think we have to start being a lot more concerned about the danger to political leaders and to citizens and families that want to go out and meet those political leaders. Sandy, I'm going to do something very rare here. I'll do a little bit of a preamble before I ask a question so that you can have a, a glass of water because uh, uh, all of us who are involved in the podcasting game sometimes have to, um, you know, lubricate our, our throats because it's just, a, it's just a, you know, a function of an occupational hazard, as it were. But the, the business about it being dangerous do you see what happened in Belleville, which was a swarming of the prime minister? Do you see it as a metaphor for what's happening with our country, with our democracy? Are we being swarmed by people, and I'll just use the generous term, radical? Are we being swarmed by radicals, and are we as a, as a people, just because of the you know, nature of, of Canadians who don't want to take sometimes issues that are very, very serious, don't want to take it seriously because we've got that sort of natural... Canadian approach. Well, you know, no, it, it, it's not as bad as the States. It's not as bad as parts of Europe, other parts of the world. After all, this is Canada. Um, aren't we in denial that we are being swarmed by goons and by brutes? I see this a little bit differently, Charles. I, I mean, that's how I, that's how I would have seen this before. But I think what we have to realize is that a lot of these people five years ago or 10 years ago, bore no resemblance to the behavior that we're seeing them display on national television. And by the way, the fact that it's on national television and being spread virally throughout the internet is uh, has an awful lot to do with why they're doing it, because they know the cameras are a brilliant way to get their messages through. You wanna be an anti-vaxxer? Go stop an ambulance at a children's hospital. Uh, this is the this is the way to get attention, and we are all addicted to it. These are the, in some ways, I feel like these people are the canaries in the coal mine, because these people have been radicalized by fake news and disinformation. The very idea of calling the Prime Minister of Canada a pedophile, the the, the absurdity of it but they know it will get attention and the very fact of it getting attention means that it gets spread much further far more people in canada have heard that the prime minister is a pedophile than would ever be imaginable and the fact that everybody's going well everybody we know is going well of course he's not a pedophile this is ridiculous these people are goons these are these are baboons that's not what's really going on the inform the disinformation is be is going in this way and these people have been sucked into a vortex of disinformation themselves and they've been trained to do that by a business model that benefits from their addiction to disinformation and to lies so he was called a pedophile and a criminal and a puke and uh, and, and a by the way a jew which is not an insult, but no, I know, but, but uh, the, the the Jew part is 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 in debate because people, some people heard Jew and some people heard heard puke. 
But in any case, oh. that, that's 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 how this thing is uh, playing out. Some people hear a, a you know, the, the P uh, in, at the beginning of that particular cat call, and so they're saying, no, she was calling him um, a puke. But regardless, he's being called all of these names. All these epithets are being used on a prime minister. Uh, the one that the, the words that are absolutely clear are traitor, criminal, and pedophile. Here's the here's the question. Um, does this simply lead, because the, the, the words have no, uh, what I would call, intellectual foundation. There's no, there's no evidence here, as, you know, in court. You know, you spend a lot of time as a trial lawyer, and the judge will say, mm -hmm. do, you have a, you know, do you have a foundation for, for this assertion? Do you have a, any kind of evidence for what you're saying? And if you don't, then you shouldn't be saying it. But, you know, this isn't the, this isn't the, the law courts. Uh, this is the court of public opinion. Are we going to be at a stage of our own debasement in this country where I'm not just talking about, you know, seven-year-olds, but I'm talking about just people in general. Are they going to be calling other people all these names? Is that the kind of uh, country that we're devolving into where even words like criminal and traitor and pedophile are just, just words that, that, that people will be using on each other? Well, I, I think we've kind of... I don't know whether, um, I don't know whether people will do this in real life, but it is, you know, for, for many of us who've been watching this for a long time, I mean, I've been watching this over, over 10 years, 11 years now is when I started to, to see what appeared to be a, um, a really disturbing, uh, trend line in social media and and at first for a long time it was restricted to social media and I continue to be kind of heartened by the fact that when I go to the grocery store or when I when the plumber comes to work on my house like nobody's calling anybody a pedophile these things don't happen we see all we see absolutely ridiculous uh, behavior you know, that gets picked up and, and and filmed and then spreads virally online of just disgraceful conduct. But I think almost none of us see this in our daily lives or would, would ever see this. Uh, but it is starting to break through. It, it used to be just online. And then there was... I, uh, I don't know how many people will remember something called Gamergate when there was an active, uh, organized and orchestrated swarming of women online who were objecting to certain things in, in video games. That seemed to be the beginnings. Those, those people who were involved in that were then um, recruited uh, by the Trump allies, by Steve Bannon and the, and the Trump people, uh, 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 Mike Flynn and others to use exactly the same techniques in the 2016 election against Hillary Clinton. And that kind of started an awful lot of this. The politicization of it is, is the injection of politics into this kind of uh, really vile conduct online. Um, and a lot of people at the time were, were really worried that they would get personally attacked. I personally have been doxxed and my first reaction when it happened was to like run to make sure that my drapes were all closed and my doors were locked and I was really terrified. And for about 48 hours, there was a big blow up online within a very 
narrow community of particular act activists and then it all disappeared so there was a feeling and i think that we have generally kind of become complacent about this that well, this stuff just happens online and it actually doesn't matter and these threats don't mean anything and you don't really need to worry. But I think it's become much more serious than that and it has started to punch through and break through and I I keep coming back to the to the to the prime minister's residence being attacked. Uh, is it going to affect like the average person um uh the average person, are we going to see this behavior? I don't think so, but we're starting to see more like at school board hearings, you know, I don't know if that started very much in Canada. There might be people who are listening who will, who can say if there's, but there, I think we're going to start to hear it in public forums. Um, and, and it, then it could very easily grow. But I think the biggest thing is that I don't think there is a self-correcting mechanism here. And we are about to see AI start to take over. And remember, profit is what made this all go viral. Profit is what created the algorithms that spreads all of this. And profit is what's driving AI. And this is going to be vastly beyond our ability to address or even regulate. And one of the things that is so important in my view is, is for us to stop with this talk about uh, freedom of speech. This is, that's not, and has never been what this is about. This, that is um, bait and it has been used by, especially by the right to enable them to say just about anything to anybody. When you, when you talk about AI, artificial intelligence, uh, making uh, this a lot worse, are you talking about uh, social media accounts that are governed by artificial intelligence that it's not real human beings sending stuff out? It's, it's essentially artificial intelligence robots that are, are going to be uh, sending out the messages because we've got some of that right now without artificial yeah. intelligence, just with the, the amount of bots that are littering uh, Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, Facebook and, and other uh, social media platforms. But what, 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 what's, give us uh, the specifics, uh, Sandy Garasino, on, on artificial intelligence and how artificial intelligence will operate in the, in the social media ecosystem. Well, uh, and, and I am not an AI expert in, in, any, sense of, in any sense of the word, but it, it's not just going to be that bots are there. What, what's deceptive about all of our experience of content that we see online, and most of us are getting most of our information online now, and the, uh, the platforms, not just the platforms, but our phones, you know, we talked about this last week, Charles, the addiction, addiction, loneliness, uh, um, the doom scrolling, the fact that hours and hours are disappearing from our daily lives all the time based on because of our addiction. All of that, that's not just coincidence. And it's not just the fact that, well, we don't have quite you know we we should we should get off social media or we should get off these things but we're just going to go a little bit longer 
this was actually this is actually programmed in these algorithms and the platforms are designed to keep your attention because the longer they keep your attention the more ads they can show you and the more ads they can show you the more revenue they make and google and facebook between the two of them are making 400 billion dollars a year every year $400 billion between the, those two companies in revenues, ad, almost all of that is ad revenue. Now, that's not just by chance that they're getting that. It's not just by chance that these two companies and only these two companies completely dominate the advertising revenue markets. But they have, there are, there's a web of contracts and and relationships that they have with other platforms apple has a has a platform with google that google is going to be the default um, search engine um, for for on apple devices there are all kinds of these these agreements and contracts and relationships are happening behind the scenes that you know that the average one of us never sees any part of but there's also the programming the algorithms the colors that are used our desire to retweet and to share the fact that we are um, motivated to share and we are rewarded by sharing with likes and thumbs ups and all and, and all of this kind of thing this is this has become a reward and this is actually based on neuroscience this is not oh people will like this there's a huge amount of neuroscience that has gone into manipulating human behavior to increase our addiction and the attention that we give to all our devices. I said it last week, I'll say it again. Anybody who's watching this or listening to this um, uh, on their mobile, if you're in a coffee shop or wherever you are, look around you and look at the, at the degree to which everybody is on their phones. This isn't just a whole bunch of people who don't have any self-control. They have been gamed by a neurological system. Now we are about to have, and by the way, AI, that was our first contact with AI. That was as Tristan Harris says, that was our first exposure to the impact of AI when they used algorithms and used finely tuned um, data to find ways to make us stay on these platforms longer and to give them their our undivided attention. And there's a uh, an arms race between all of these platforms, TikTok, Facebook, um, uh, WhatsApp, Instagram, Twitter, all of them are in a race for our attention and to hold and keep our attention because the longer that we're on there and the more that we share, the more that this drives revenues to them. Well, now real AI, much, much more sophisticated, is about to take over this. And we are being neurologically programmed for addiction, and that is driving terrible impacts for, especially for young people, our children who cannot get themselves offline. You know, there you can see the blue light from their phones from under the doorway at three o'clock in the morning. This is this is all programmed in and nobody is controlling it. And almost none of us understand the extent of it. And there's no transparency about it. But this is why all of these messages, I mean, the idea of calling the prime minister a pedophile, this is a ludicrous idea. And yet almost every Canadian has heard it.
So if this is, and but this is actually, this is the result of AI and we're going to be seeing more of it, not less. And it's very troubling and it's incumbent on all our political leaders to begin to address this, not just the offensiveness of this conduct, but controlling and regulating the platforms that are making money by turning us into, by radicalizing us. Sandy Garasino, there's something about uh, what you say and how you say it and the experience that you bring uh, to every single segment that uh, we do. We're very privileged to, to have you in this country. We're certainly privileged to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Catch Charles Adler Mondays on Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson, twice a week in the Winnipeg Free Press, and every day at criermedia.co.